You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Saints, we have in our text this morning the account of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And in this text, we learn that Jesus desires that we be satisfied. In the text, we learn that there's this great crowd following Jesus, hearing his sermons, learning from his teaching, and that they've been with him so long that they don't have any food left. Jesus says, they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And so what are they to do? What does Jesus do? Well, of course, Jesus feeds them. But not before giving his disciples a bit of a scare in turning to them and asking them how many loaves of bread they have. And kind of seems like maybe uh, the disciples didn't realize they were supposed to bring the food for this journey. So he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They respond, seven. You kind of have to wonder if they, that's actually supposed to be a question. So Jesus takes these seven loaves and he multiplies them and he feeds the crowds. And then he adds a second course, taking the few small fish that they have found and multiplying those and feeding those to the crowds as well. The meal that Jesus gives to the crowd is abundant. And in the end, the disciples collect the leftovers, seven baskets full of leftovers. And these aren't just any baskets. They are, in fact, Greek baskets, which would have held about 50 loaves of bread apiece. And so what began as seven loaves of bread and a few small fish ends up being a two-course meal for 4,000 people with the equivalent of 350 loaves of bread left over. This is how great Jesus' generosity is. And in the midst of this, we're told that the crowds are given the bread and the fish, and they ate and were satisfied. Your Jesus desires that just as the crowds were fed and were satisfied, that you also should be satisfied with his gifts. And so we do well to ask ourselves a question on this. Do I believe that Jesus desires that I be satisfied? Do I believe that Jesus wants me to be happy? Now, we're we're tempted to say things along the lines of that we need to learn to be happy with the little that I have or not having enough. Or we can um, have times where we complain to ourselves and to others about not having enough of this or enough of that because we think that we, we actually should have more than what we have. Or perhaps you've been tempted to get angry because you look at what your neighbor has and they have so much. And then you look at what you have and, well, you have so little. And here we have a serious problem. Not that we confess that what we have is a gift given to us by God. No, this is a good confession, because all things are given to us by God. But rather, the issue here is that we confess that what we have from God is a little, that it's small, that it's not enough. Behind statements like this is the idea that our God is a stingy God, that God doesn't want me to be completely satisfied and content and happy. And these thoughts and ideas are in fact nothing more than lies of the devil. The devil wants you to believe that God wants to keep everything to himself, that he doesn't want to give you what you need. 
The devil tries to sell you the lie that, that God has so much up there in heaven and you have so little down here on earth and you deserve to have what God has and therefore God is evil and wicked for not giving these things to you. And in reality, this is the exact same lie that he sells to Adam and Eve in the garden. In the garden, Satan tempts Adam and Eve to be like God. He tempts them to be like God in their knowledge of good and evil. And in this lie, just dressed up a little bit differently to us, he tempts us to be like God in what we have. He tempts us to be like God in our stuff. There's two big issues that we, we need to address with this. The first problem is that this temptation leads us to believe that what we have from God is small. This stems from the idea that we're deserving of more when in reality, the opposite is true. As sinners, we're deserving of even less than what we have from God. Jesus, in teaching about the gifts that God gives us, makes this abundantly clear. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things? Elsewhere, Jesus calls us sons of our Father the devil, evil people, devil people. These sorts of people don't deserve good gifts. And such people are us people, you people, me people. We're undeserving even of the air which God gives us to breathe. But because of the abundant mercies of God, he not only gives us air to breathe, but food to eat and water to drink. And against this temptation of the devil, Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. In teaching us to pray for daily bread, Jesus is teaching us that he will provide for all of our needs of body and soul. That he will answer our prayer through the many abundant gifts that he bestows to us. We pray the same thing, in fact, in the mealtime prayer that we're taught in the catechism, where we pray Psalm 145. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Jesus teaches us that all of these physical things such as clothing and food and drink and even our very life itself, they are gifts given to us by God, given out of his abundant mercy. And because of this, we have no need to be anxious about them. What Jesus gives to you, no matter what it is or how much of it he gives to you, he gives it to you in order to satisfy you. He gives it to you in order that you would be happy. In understanding the, this, we see that these gifts aren't small, but rather they're abundant and overflowing. Now, the second and probably larger problem with this temptation of the devil is that the, we have the temptation to believe that what we have is only contained in the physical if the devil can't get you to believe in a tight-fisted and stingy God, then he tries to tempt you with the next best thing. He tries to get you to believe that God's gifts are only contained in the physical things that he gives to us. If he can't get you to focus your attention on the things that God hasn't given to you, then he tries to focus your attention even more abundantly onto the things that God has given to you in the physical and the purpose of this is to turn these good gifts that God gives to us into idols that are worshipped. 
The devil wants to keep your eyes away from the gift of the forgiveness of your sins through hearing his word and receiving his sacraments. For you see, dear saints, if you don't have the forgiveness of sins, these other gifts become the object of your worship. Because in taking away the forgiveness of sins, the devil is in actuality taking Jesus away from you. But fighting against this very thing again is the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. Not only does Jesus teach us to pray for our daily bread, but he also teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins. And this prayer is answered in even more abundance and greater generosity than the physical gifts of daily bread. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And it is here in the church where the word is proclaimed and the sacraments are administered that you have life given to you in abundance and that you have true satisfaction given to you. Here we praise God alongside the psalmist. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Here in the house of the Lord, in the holiness of his temple, we receive the satisfaction which can only come from God feeding us with his gifts. And just as Jesus feeds the crowds because he looks upon them with compassion, so also he has looked upon you with compassion, and so he feeds you as well. And he doesn't simply feed you with bread and fish, but something much more substantive than that. He feeds you with his word, proclaimed in the liturgy and the hymns and the sermon. He feeds you through the absolution where you hear the voice of Jesus himself through the mouth of the pastor, I forgive you all your sins. He feeds you with this sacrament, placing into your mouth the very body and blood which have been nailed on the cross to forgive your sins. The very body and blood which have been buried in the tomb, burying your sins with it. And the very body and blood which have risen from the dead as proof of his victory over sin, death, and the devil. And which is given to you as a promise that your body too shall be raised to newness of life. He feeds you with the very body and blood which he has become for you. Remember this temptation of the devil. You shall be like God. And in response to this, God becomes us for us. To live for you. To die for you. To be raised for you. To forgive you. The author of Hebrews captures this most beautifully. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, as you. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." Dear saints, your Jesus is able to help you because he became like you and was tempted like you, yet without sin. He knows your needs, and he promises to provide for your needs. He provides for them in abundance. He satisfies your needs. 
Your Jesus is generous, lavishing upon you not only what you need in this life, but more importantly, pouring out upon you his forgiveness, which you need for the life of the world to come. He has died for every sin, every sin of the past, every sin of the present, and every sin of the future. He has died in order that you might be justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. This is your comfort, and this is your consolation, that the greatest gift of God, the forgiveness of your sins through the love of Christ, is given to you in the greatest abundance, and it cannot be taken from you. It is yours. And in this we are satisfied. We are content. We are happy living in God's forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.